enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is with Leah Jansen. She is an accomplished master's athlete. And when I say accomplished, holy cow, what this woman has achieved is truly remarkable, even more so considering she really didn't start doing endurance sports until she was a master's athlete. Truly remarkable. I mean, I really couldn't wait to talk to her while she has really done such incredible stuff from the running perspective and in triathlon. Um, what we we uh, talk and focus mostly on in this episode, luckily it's not my pronunciation, which I'm having a hard time with right now. Um, we talk about the mind. So she works with so many athletes as well as herself on just overcoming hurdles and the things that we can do mentally and emotionally to get us to the spot where we think from a performance standpoint that we can get to and overcoming those hurdles and those challenges and those self-defeating beliefs and all of those things. And I did an Instagram poll, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, asking people what was stopping them from reaching their goals. And this was a huge portion of the audience that selected this topic. So we're going to dive much more into this, not just in this episode, but in the coming episodes as well, because that's why we do this, is to help people get over those hurdles and to be their best running selves. And I'm so excited to be doing that with you today. So I'm so excited to dive into it here with Leah Jansen. Leah, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Matt. This is super exciting. I'm really excited to talk to you because you seemed to have encountered something that so many people uh, have been looking for for, for centuries. In fact, you know, I was just talking to someone from Florida. I know people looked for it down there oftentimes. And this is the fountain of youth. And I want to know, <laughs> before we get into the specifics with what you've done with it, um, how did you come across it? Because you basically started doing all of your endurance sporting things, a variety of things at this point, after the age of 40. And what you've done since then is truly remarkable. And it's I'm not even sure where to start besides, you know, just cutting to the chase and like, hey, where did you find this thing? Well, thank you for saying that. That's really, really kind of you. And I'm still searching for that fountain of youth. So if anybody knows where it is, let me know. I'm, uh, I'm, on, the, I'm on the trail. Um, but thanks again. And I think that the key to some, some of my success has been that I was late to the game. I think I didn't do any of the running or biking or swimming as a kid. So it was all new and fun and exciting. You know, I wasn't that, I'm not that runner who ran in college and has these memories of horrible track workouts where everyone was puking and it was just, you know, horrible. I never had that. So I think that that newness and freshness for me was part of the appeal. It was like, ooh, a sport, a new sport. I'm good at it. This is great. You know, I felt like a kid again, Matt. I really, really do. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk to you not only because of your athletic accomplishments, which are remarkable, and I'm really excited to talk to you about that, but also uh, with what you're doing from a mindset perspective and helping um, helping others as well as yourself, obviously, um, achieve things um, from a mental, um, you know, the mental and physical uh, combination and really setting people up for success. So let's dive into the mental stuff first, because I, I did this Instagram poll it was about a week ago, 
And this was, you know, basically like what was, what was holding you back from, you know, a major, you know, basically achieving your success, right? You, people could only choose one thing. So a shocking amount of people put the mental side, like that it was some sort of like mental capacity or um, I forget exactly how I phrased it, but that, that, that their mindset on some level, uh, whether it was self-defeating behaviors or that they didn't think they could achieve it. And I'm, I'm sure there are a whole host of things that I could put into that category. But basically, I think it was like, you know, 35 to 40% chose that option. And I thought that was very interesting um, that people were that self-aware and that uh, honest about that this was holding them back. So how did you get into this space as in terms of helping people with their mindset for athletic achievement? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think I realized when I looked back at a lot of the accomplishments that I had had athletically, um, I recognized that it wasn't all talent-based. Um, again, I'm not a runner uh, as a I'm not a trained runner or trained athlete at all. I'm, you know, so why, why am I able to do a lot of the things that I do? And I'm, I don't consider myself that much more talented than anybody else. And when people were always asking me, Leah, how do you push through when you're, when you want to give up on the run? How do you, you know, how do you get over that pain? How do you, you know, keep going? And I was like, you know, it's, it's very interesting that that's part of my success. That's such a big part of my success. And I think it's teachable. I think it's very, teachable. And I always tell people the only reason I'm, I'm, I get a better time in the race is I'm able to be uncomfortable longer than you. That's just it. I mean, I kind of feel that way. I get to, you know, I can be in pain for longer than, than most people. So how do you get that way? You train that way, you know? So I, I've learned to kind of embrace all of that, that struggle and that, that mental conditioning piece, because I think it's super important. It's the intangible. It's the one thing people don't train on. You know, they have their, their, their training plan and they do the miles and they do the stretching and, but they don't train their brain. They don't get into that nitty gritty of the visualization and of the, you know, what to say to yourself when you're on that run and you're in that, you know, you're doing those interval workouts and you're just super, you're suffering because when you can do that in a workout, it's going to come to you on race day. You know, people think they're going to tap into this mindset on race day. It's just going to come out of nowhere. It's not unless you've really trained on that. So I think that that's the missing piece for people that I, I'm, I'm passionate about teaching that. So that mindset shift that you're talking about, that is not necessarily sports related, right? It's, it's valuable within sport, but you can adopt those approaches to basically any area of life. And you'd be probably very served, very well served to do that. So while you have certainly incorporated it into your life from an athlete's perspective, was this sort of um, mental and emotional journey and um, practices and wellness and things like that, was this already part of your life that you were incorporating in other areas or where did, when did you start to go down this path? That's a great question, Matt. Um, and I, I have to say that it's true. It, it's always, it's been a part of my life all along and it's not just used in, in, as you know, competitively, I use it in all areas of my life. I've built a business. I've done all these things with the same kind of mindset, which is really expanding our belief of what's possible. People are so quick to, and I've heard you say it about that governor that they put on themselves. Oh, I'm, I can only do this, or I can only do that. And if we remove that governor and start to see what's actually possible and just go all in on that belief, we start to act that way. We start to act our behave our way to success is what I like to say. So it's really, it is a 
person mindset. I like to use it in sports because I speak sports. That's my, I love all kinds of athletics. In fact, I wrote my high school college essay on competition. I just grew up as a competitor. I love to compete and I compete with myself. It's, it's, you know, when you talk about sports, I, I'm competing with myself when I run. I'm competing with myself in triathlon. And even in my business, it's it's me versus me. So when we can start to expand our belief of what we're capable of and not what everyone else has deemed possible, you know, we're so quick to listen to all the all the outside noise. Oh, well, you know, no, no one in the, you know, a 50-year-old woman is not going to run a sub three marathon. Really? Says who? Like, why is that the case? Who decided that that was the truth, you know, so we, we really, but people say that they believe it, but they have to act that way. They have to really behave it as well as just say it out loud. So there's a lot to this whole mindset piece and it takes training just like the physical side takes training, just like you have to follow that, you know, that plan that your run coach has put out for you. You have to follow the mental plan too. All right. So who's like this wonderful thesis advisor that let you write something on competition? I'm trying to remember like <laughs> when I was in college, like that sort of stuff wasn't an option. Like I chose my major basically because it was like the only major and I chose poli sci where you where thesis was optional because I was so dreading. If I knew I could write something cool like that, man, I'm going to go on a different route. That's funny. Yeah. No, it was, uh, no, it was my high school application to college. It was my college essay. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. I, yeah. I misheard you. I no, apologize. That's funny. Oh, so, so, this, so this was, this was baked in early. Okay. Yes. So, all right. So you, so this was obviously part of your life right from the get go. So how, even, even at a young age, how did you and your family, because obviously they have play, play a big, major part in this, how did they help to ensure that competition was a positive part of your life and not something that could turn into a negative part of your life? That's a great question. Um, I, you know, I grew up in a very, like I said, a very competitive household. My dad was super competitive. He, everything we did was a competition, Matt everything. It was like, okay, who can throw the ball from the couch to the kitchen and get closest to the, to the sink? You know, I mean, it was always something, you know, we were outside and it was like, all right, you guys run that way. So everything my dad sort of did for my, me and my brother was all around competition. We had the basketball hoop on the driveway and it was constantly, so I sort of grew up with that as my, as my backdrop really, but I never looked at competition as a negative. That's an interesting way to, to phrase it. But I did feel, I think the way it did backfire was I felt a lot of pressure as a kid to be from my dad, to be like this awesome athlete, like Leah, you know, he would, he was, he was always so complimentary towards me. I was a tennis player. I was a volleyball player. I played basketball. I was an all state tennis qualifier for New York. So I was good at sports, but I wasn't a standout. I was never a standout. I need to jump in here for a second. Yeah. I could have guessed just from the <laughs> rhythms of your speech that you were a New Yorker. Like I, the, when you said I grew in New York, I was like, of course, oh, of course. I was trying to hide it, Matt. You you caught me. You busted me. Yeah. I live on Long Island, New York, and I'm proud to say it. I'm proud to say it. I was going to say, I was like, if you were going to say that, I'm like, I'm going to guess the part of New York. I almost, I'm almost uh, upset that you told me where you oh, were from because I was going to be like, okay, this person is from Long Island. I'm going to guess Nassau County, and I'm going to say probably just <laughs> east of Garden City if I had to guess. Okay, I'm Suffolk County. I'm all oh. Oh, so sorry. All the way in the North Shore by like um the Long Island Sound. I'm about a mile from the water. So Oh gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. So North oh, so you're, Shore. So you're like you're like you're like in, in like uh, in wine country over there. 
almost go further west. So like, do you know where Port Jefferson is? Port Jeff is like a big, yeah. where the ferry comes through. That's where I'm right there. Oh, I, can, gotcha. I can hear the ferry sometimes. Gotcha. Okay. So like in the Smithtown area. Yeah. Not far from Smithtown. Two, two towns over. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So keep going. I'm sorry. I jumped in. No, I get, I get really okay. excited that's about okay. like, when I can start like, doing the geography game. <laughs> that's fun. I bet. So anyway, that's kind of, you know, my dad was this, this athlete and he put a lot of pressure on me to sort of be the standout. And I just wasn't, man. I wasn't. I wasn't into, I wanted to do everything else in high school. I wanted to run around and go to the beach and be with my friends. And I was, I didn't take it very seriously. So I, when I went to college, I didn't want to play tennis. I didn't want to play volleyball. I didn't want to do anything. I just want, I was burnt out. So I regretted that, Matt. Honestly, I think if, if we come full circle and we talk about what drives me now, I think what drives me now is the unfinished business from, from then. I, you know, I never realized the potential that I had. And so now here I am at 42. Well, no, I'm not 42 now, but when I ran my first marathon, I was 42. And I, you know, I, I kind of channeled that kid that just didn't get to, to realize their potential. And I was like, well, I'm not going to squander this opportunity. I'm going for it. But I didn't really even know what that was, Matt. You know, I didn't even know what running, I didn't know anything about running. I never, I didn't even have a, you know, a Garmin watch at the time. And it was just sort of this, this, um, I just sort of went for, I just went after it without knowing anything. The ignorance is bliss. And, um, here I am seven, almost eight years, seven years later with, you know, 11 marathons under my belt, uh, would have been five Boston marathons the past April, but they canceled it and, uh, and a Kona qualification to go for triathlon. So it has been an absolute ride. It's just been amazing the last seven years since I ran that first, uh, well, no, I ran my first marathon in 2015. Yeah, 2015. So it's been interesting. It's been an interesting ride. But I think coming back from that kid that didn't get to, you know, that unfinished business is what really drives me. Yeah. So it sounds like you almost had like a competition hangover after all of those experiences. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I got to use that. I love that. Yeah, I did. I, I didn't want to, but the irony to it is that when I went to college, um, I went to a D3 school and I, I missed sports so much. You have to remember, I played everything. Every day after school, I was on the softball team, the basketball team, the volleyball, tennis, you name it, I played it. Um, and then I had nothing. So I wound up walking on the lacrosse team. This is a true story. Um, and with my roommate and I wound up playing D3 lacrosse, like I never played lacrosse in my life. So it was just, that's how much I love sports and, and athletics. So that was just a fun, fun fact, just a fun fact. <laughs> yeah. So when you are, so, so all of a sudden you made this conscious decision not to play sports in college and then you, you're like, I can't, I just can't like stop this engine a little bit here. So you, you dive back in. Did you end up picking up from a competition standpoint and how hard you drove yourself did you pick up where you left off or were, or did it start to downshift a little bit? No, it definitely downshifted. It definitely downshifted. It was it was more of a social fun, get outside, run around, you know, learn a new sport. It wasn't anything like where I was before. And then after that, I did nothing, Matt. For honestly, for years I didn't do I you know, I would run a little bit here or there just to you know, just for a weight loss purposes, nothing else. Um, and then I had kids. I have, you know, I have four kids and from age 30 to age 40, that's all I did was, um, have children and, and do, you know, I was completely consumed in that world and that was great. You know, I didn't think about competition. I didn't even know about a marathon, like marathon seemed 
absolutely insane to me. I used to watch the New York City Marathon every year on TV as a kid and thought it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. Like love to watch it. Every year I would watch it. And I said, one day that'd be so cool to do that. And um, I got to do it uh, in 2015 when a friend of mine told me he could get me into the marathon. And I, I wound up doing it that year. The six weeks after my first marathon, I did my second marathon, which was not a great idea. But um, any, nevertheless, I was not turning down an opportunity to run the New York City Marathon. And that was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. So again, that was you know at 42. So it's you know a lot of time passed between between that kid in college and and that marathon. Right, so which begs the question. So you had these, you know, this sounds like a really fun home life mm-hmm. um, where, you know, the competition played a big part in it. It helped drive you to really good youth sports success. And, you know, and in high school as well, I don't know if that still counts as youth in terms of terminology, but, you know, so you were at a pretty good level at that point. Um, and then we see kind of what happened after that. So you mentioned... They're in your 30s, you know, you have four kids, your, you know, parenting is the main part of your life. So you have at that point, a decision, you know, do you do you start to raise your kids in a similar fashion that you did? Because there obviously were positives aspects to it. And then there was, again, like this, this competition hangover as well, (laughs) which was baked into that product. So what choices did you start to make in terms of your children and how you would approach athletics competition, physical activity, those sorts of things. So, you know, Matt, I try and get, I try and encourage my kids and and make it more about their effort and not necessarily about the outcome. So when my kids are going to a soccer game or a basketball game, I ask them, you know, what are your intentions for this game today? What are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? And I have them say to me, like in the cars or driving over there, you know, what do you hope to accomplish in your game today? And they're like, well, I want to, I want to pass well. And, um, you know, I want to communicate on the field to my teammates and I want to be, um, you know, I want to listen to my coach, you know, so I, I make it some tangible items, some good things that they can focus on. So it's not all about winning or all about not making mistakes. Because I think a fear that a lot of kids have in sports is they're so afraid to make a mistake that they don't take any risks and they don't take any chances out there. And I think that that held me back as a kid. So, and I don't want to have that fear of they're going to look at me in the stands and be like, oh, I made a mistake. My mom's going to be upset. You know, I don't want them to feel pressure from my end because I felt that pressure, you know, from my dad a little bit. So I want it to be more about having fun, but also taking risks and playing to your to your strengths as well. I say I ex, I ex, ask them specifically, like, what are you good at? Well, I'm really coachable, and I'm I listen well, and I follow through. All right, that's you know, let's lead with that. So I think, and I want them to be to be proud of what they do, and I, I'm I'm proud. I want them to be proud of me. So I want them to to watch me and say, wow, mommy works really hard and she really cares about being the best version of herself. That's sort of the message I'm trying to give them through my my sports and 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 races and training because it's it takes time from them, you know. So I I try and explain to them when I'm in the basement on the treadmill or on the bike. I'm like, I do that. Why do I do this? You know, I said to my son Charlie the other the other night. I said, Why do Why does mommy get on the bike at eight o'clock at night? And and, and he's like, I don't know. I said because I want to be the best version of me. I want to do the best that I can and work really hard every day. So I'm trying to instill a lot of those those messages to them as opposed to winning. And, you know, th- it's not about winning. It's about the journey. It's about the process. It's about the commitment to what it is, whatever it is you're going for. That's what it's all about to me. So I, I try and instill that in my kids through my sports. 
All right. So you have four kids Mm -hmm. and obviously they're not all the same. So where does the different, how do you approach them from an individualistic perspective and differentiate maybe some of these messages in terms of maybe, you know, I'm using the word coach here kind of in quotes, like coaching them maybe a little bit differently depending on their past experiences, their age, and just their temperament. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, boys and girls are different and the ages are different. My 17-year-old daughter is going to be way, I'm going to talk to her way differently than I talk to my 12-year-old son. You know, my 12-year-old son is afraid to make a mistake. So I have to coach him very differently. You know, he has to be told just, just do your best. And if you make a mistake, that's okay because you're, you're trying and it's all about the effort. You know, my, my other little guy, he just wants to, he just wants to be like, look at me, look, I scored, I scored a goal. You know, he's all excited about just making me proud. And then my littlest one is really aggressive and, and I have to be careful not to, cause I see a lot of myself in her. I have to be careful not to put that on her, not to project that onto her and make her feel like she has to, you know, so it's all about fun for an eight year old. Like it's not, I'm not looking for a kid that's going to get a full ride to, um, you know, to Duke to play lacrosse. I want her to have a good time and enjoy sports because what I've learned on the other end of this is that it's it's a lifetime experience. It's a it's a lifestyle. You know, I want sports and athletics and exercise and competition to be to be for, forever. That's it's it's my lifestyle now. It's not just it doesn't define me and just like I tell them this doesn't define you. This is just part of who you are. For me, I learned later in life that this is really what lights me up and it makes me who I am and I if without the competition and the sports, I don't feel like myself. So I like to bring that to show my kids that this is, but you know, if writing books and short stories is your thing, that's your thing. If, if, you know, if making arts and crafts and, and being artistic is your thing, that's your thing. My thing is this, you know, so I kind of try and teach them that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't end with sports because I think they see me as, wow, mommy's this and mommy's that. And everybody, you know, I work in the same school district that they go to and people go up to them all the time. Wow, your mom is so amazing. She did this and that. So they hear a lot about me and I don't want them to ever feel that there's any kind of pressure to perform it for me or anybody because of who I am and what I've done. That's that's a very big awareness for me. Yeah, I mean, qualifying for Kona is an enormous accomplishment for people who've been doing triathlon for for decades, right? And you you weren't doing it for decades, and and you got there. So I can see I can see how you'd want to segment the couple, the, the two here. So when we first started talking on this call, you talked about how you know, using your mindset and your approach to push past difficulty, to approach hurdles, to get past them, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and all of those things. And I can't wait to engage on on all those topics. And we also have the idea, again, especially for younger athletes and uh, people new to a sport or, or any kind of activity for that matter, the idea of fun, enjoyment, being that that is the foundation on which all these other experiences and successes and hurdles are built upon. So let's talk about that the transition there of when things aren't simply a matter of like, all right, is this is all about enjoyment? Because obviously, if, if that's the only barometer for should we be doing something, then the idea of pushing past a hurdle would be anathema to the whole formula. So, right. so, when, so when do things start to con- start to change in terms of of being um, making sure that we're having an enjoyable experience, or making sure our kids are having an enjoyable experience? To then the transition to okay, 
hurdles are a part of this, growth is a part of this, and how we're going to uh, work through these things to ultimately maybe get to this higher level and understanding what that higher level could be and how to approach it. Well, it starts out as fun, right? I mean, I think that's, we do this because it's fun. We do this because it's social. We, you know, for me, it was a way to be social and exercise at the same time, right? Um, I remember when I first started doing the running and my husband and I had kind of this deal, you get to go work out for an hour and I get to, you get an hour a day to do whatever you want, right? So we've got all these kids running around and it was like this one hour to sort of have this peace and quiet or whatever you wanted. And for me, it was always exercise. So I got to exercise and socialize at the same time. Then I started to realize that if I'm going to spend, it, it became so important to me to, to spend that time very strategically. Okay, Matt. So I said, all right, if I'm going to run or if I'm going to go to, I did CrossFit for a while. I'm going to make it count. Like I'm going to go out there and do and work really hard in that one hour that I have. And I think that's when it started to transition to me for me to more of a, wow, you know, I can really get, I can accomplish a lot in a small amount of time. My mindset had been, I'm a mom of four. I work full time. I can never be competitive as a runner. I looked at all the runners locally that were really good. And I said, oh, this is what they must do all day long. Like I had no concept of wow, you can actually train and work and be a mom and be pretty successful at it. So I made that shift into this is more than just a fun hobby for me. This is actually uh, an opportunity for me to see what I'm what I'm kind of made of and and see what I can do. And I had no idea. I, I said this on um, to someone the other day, like my first marathon was at 42. I thought that would be my fastest. I'm like, well, that'll be my fastest one because I'm the youngest. I, it, ne it never occurred to me that I could get faster as I got older. And that's when I started to realize how much the mindset was, was, uh, it, it's a, it had such an impact on your performance because once I flipped that switch and realized, no, I'm getting better as I get older because I'm getting, I'm a smarter athlete. I'm a more complete athlete. I'm, I'm more in touch with how to rest and how to recover and strategies and focus. You know, there was so much, the learning curve was so, so steep that all of these other pieces of the, of the training puzzle were enabling me to become better even though I was getting older, you know, so that was really a shift for me. And it's still, I still believe I can get faster, even at, I'll be 48 in a couple of weeks. I'm like, my best marathon is still ahead of me. And, you know, that that's just, that's the, the choice I make, my mindset. I mean, I, it may be true. It may not. It doesn't matter. That's how I'm choosing to believe it and see it. And I think that's so important with all of this. So I think I answered your question in kind of a roundabout way, but not really sure. <laughs> no, you did. So, so let's talk about when mindset um, held you back, right? We're going to talk a lot about you know, things that you can do to enhance your mindset and to push past things. But before we get there, you know, I think we all, we all stumble, even those of us like yourself who, who coach this for a living or, or who do this as part of their living. So let's talk about for you when you look back and you're like, you know what, this is when my mindset wasn't where it needed to be. And this was the outcome, right? What, what, what are the prime examples that you can harken back to? Well, swimming for me was, the, I, I did not know how to swim. I mean, I could swim to save my life. I live on an island, so I know how to swim, but I'd never taken a swimming lesson. I didn't swim as a kid. Uh, so that was a major obstacle. And I had this mindset of, I'm not a swimmer. And I would just say that out loud. I'm not a swimmer. I don't swim. And so that held me back for a while. And I had to get over that and say to myself, you know what? I'm not a swimmer yet. I'm not a swimmer now. I'm, I'm not a good swimmer yet. 
And that was like the biggest shift, I think, for me, because I, I started out just not thinking I was going to be competitive because all these people knew how to swim. And I was in lane one at a swim clinic blowing bubbles. Matt, that's a true story. I went to the first swim clinic with a bunch of triathletes and I'd never swam. So they said, okay, you're going to go in lane one. And they had us with our face in the water blowing bubbles. That's where I was only four years ago. Like, So it's insane what you can overcome and accomplish if you really let, you know, let that go and focus on how do I get better as opposed to I'm not good at this. So for me, it became, okay, and I use this word scrappy in all of my my coaching. Like I got scrappy. I was like, okay, I got to fight for it a little bit and I've got to watch YouTube videos on how to swim and I have to watch other swimmers. What do they do? Oh, look, she puts her arm over there. She's got her head down. She's kicking. She's not kicking. So it became sort of this obstacle that I was de- determined to overcome because it was in the way of my goal. So I was like, I'm either going to surrender to it and just say, oh, well, I'm not a swimmer or I'm going to fight for it. And I chose to be to be scrappy and fight for it. Now, one of the first things you said on this call was that you don't view yourself as necessarily more talented than the other people that you're competing against or other people that you know, or just generally people in the sport or sports that you compete in. So how do you define talent? Oh gosh, that's a tough question. You know, talent is there's degrees of talent just like anything else. I think talent is is necessary. Some some form of talent is necessary and I would be lying if I said I didn't have some athletic abilities. I definitely do. Um but I think talent is somewhat overrated. I think people people use talent as an out. You know, they will say, "Oh, well Leah's a good runner because she's so talented. She you know she's talented. She's a talented athlete." And I challenge people on that. I'm always like, you know what? You you talent is part of the equation, but if you rely you can't rely on talent. You know, we all know many professional athletes who are talented but don't perform because because of their mindset and because of their 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 attitude and their the way they behave. So, I don't I define talent as something that's p- part of the success equation, but not not the entire picture. I think there's so much more to it, but I think it's an easy way for people to say, well, I don't, I'm not going to be good because I don't, I don't have that kind of talent. And I, I challenge that every single time. And I say, you're as talented as you think you are. You know, there is some form of talent and there are some ceilings. Look, I'm never going to, I'm never going to run a 220 marathon. I'm not, I'm not going to qualify. Well, I'm not going to say I'm not going to qualify for the Olympic trials, but I'm not going to win the Boston marathon. I'm not talented enough to do that. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I'm not insane, but I also think that we put this cap on what we, what we feel we are, we are equipped to do and how much talent we have. And I always challenge people on that. And I'd like to see talent as, evolving and and sort of fluid. So when you're talking to folks who set up some sort of um, some sort of limiting belief about what they think is possible, where do you think most people draw that line or put that range um, in their beliefs kind of like before they start working with you? Well, they have these preconceived notions about what's possible for them. Well, I could never run a seven-minute mile, or I could never do a you know a, a, a sub-two-hour half marathon. I'm not, I'm not fast enough. But and this has been their language, Matt. Like this is how they talk all the time. This is just what they say. Like that's not no way. I'm not I'm not that runner. So I think once we let we have to uh, my, my part of my work is unlearning 
what they've learned. You know, I have this phrase I always use, your story is no longer serving you. They have this story in their head that they either aren't an athlete because they weren't one as a kid. Somebody, you know, a PE teacher told them when they were young that they weren't good at running. So now they're, they don't feel like they're that good. I, I was talking to a client yesterday who said, I have to see myself as a runner. I don't see myself as a runner. I'm like, you've run marathons. She's like, yeah, but I still have this image in my head of a runner being someone who's really fast. And I was like, that's so interesting. Like they don't label themselves as a runner yet because they haven't done a, a sub four hour marathon. Their age, you know, their weight. I'm, I'm, I'm too fat to do that. I'm too heavy to do this. I'm too old to, to run that fast. I'm, you know, I have an injury, you know, there's, they, but a lot of those are, are, are really just kind of, I don't know, easy, not excuses, but sort of that's a protection for them because there's a lot of fear around what if I put out there what I really want to do? What if I put out there that I want to do a sub four hour marathon and, and I don't accomplish it? And, and to that, I say, who cares? Like, no one is watching what you're doing. No one really cares what you're doing more than you do. So when, you know, a lot of what, what hinders athletes, older athletes, like in their forties and fifties and thirties, it's like they're, they're, they're afraid of what other people are going to say and if the, the time is not going to be good. And, and I, that's a big piece of it. It's this comparison trap. You know, Matt, it's like, oh, well, you know, they're watching me. No, they're not really watching you. Like, let go of all of that. That doesn't matter anymore. This is your, you know, this is your turn to do it for you, not for anybody else. So there's a lot that goes on psychologically with people and their, and their training and, and their, their limiting beliefs. Right. And I can see there's, you know, a wide range of people, like the folks who maybe are really getting into athletics seriously for the first time. Maybe they've dabbled or they've done this and that, but it really hasn't been as long, consistent effort with succeeding or certain goals in mind, right? right? And I can see those kind of people being like, well, I just, this is so new. I've never gone down this path. I don't even know what, I mean, you know, so like they're kind of like, they're almost coming to to their their perceptions of what they can achieve with some sort of naivete because they're kind of new to the whole process. And then there's these other folks who are the kind of the other end of the spectrum, right? People who have been doing this for a while. And I'm just going to throw some hypotheticals at you, uh, if you don't mind, right? So let's maybe someone who's like, hey, hey, I've been, I've been training for years here, Leah. Like, I'm not saying I can't run a 130 half marathon because um, I'm being negative. Like, I've done this for a while. I've trained hard and I just know that I'm not capable of doing it. Like I, I, I have been training hard. Like this isn't, I'm not trying to be negative here, Leah. Like this is just what my body has shown. Right. And that you, when you have people kind of falling into that bucket, what are some of the things that you do with those folks? Well, I, I challenge them on all the other fronts of their, you know, I don't question that they're working hard. I know they're working hard and they are trying and they are training properly. But I would just question some of the other aspects of their training, their rest, their recovery, their nutrition, um, you know, where their training cycles, have they been, you know, injured? What, you know, what's going on there? Because I still think that you can break barriers of your own if, if you have checked off every box. And I think that we, you know, we tend to think I've done this, I've done that. And I'm like, well, have you tried you know, any of your mental conditioning? Have you worked with anybody on visualization? Have you done anything 
you know, I, I just find that that intangible can be the game changer for a lot of people. And the difference between a 133 half and a 130, which is, you know, three minutes, not a lot. But at the end of the day, if they answer me and say, I've, I've done everything I can do and I'm happy with my 135 half marathon, I'm good with that. That's great. Like there, there's no, you know, sometimes a goal has to be really audacious and it can be something that they may not physically get to for whatever reason, you know, especially with a year like this, that maybe they were in prime shape and they didn't get to race in that, in those conditions. And maybe that window did pass. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to say that's, I'm not going to call BS on somebody. Oh no, you, you can do it. You know, that's, that's not reasonable, but I, I just want to make sure that they go through and, and check every single box and have tried every strategy. And a lot of times the mental piece is the last piece that people they people try. They've tried all the physical stuff, but they haven't really gone and tried to work on their mental game. Okay. Let me ask you a different question. If people are completely wedded to their their self-limiting beliefs, but even maybe they're not even viewing it as a self-limiting belief. It's something that that's how you're framing it, but they're just looking like, no, that's just my limit. And they're holding on to that. Is that something that is them being realistic? Oftentimes, we're speaking generally here. Is it you find this people who generally thinking this as like, I'm just trying to be realistic and without like trying to set myself up for failure? Or do you feel like it's basically some sort of like defense mechanism which stops them from putting themselves on the hook? Yeah, I think a lot of it is a defense mechanism sometimes. They, they just, it's safer. It plays, they're playing safer. They're, they're, you know what? That's not possible for me. I'm again, fill in the blank, too old, too overweight, too, too this, too, too injured, too busy, you know, whatever it is, insert whatever excuse. And I, you know, I challenge that because sometimes I just want them to not put that limiting belief on themselves and say, I, all I want to hear them say is, yeah, maybe I could do it, but I'm choosing not to. That's different. You know, I, I'm choosing not to because I don't, I don't want to work hard enough that I'd have, I don't want to work as hard as I would need to work in order to get that time. That's a different answer than it's not possible, right? So it's very different for them to say, you know what? Yeah, I, maybe I could do a sub hour, four hour marathon, but I, I don't, I don't want to push myself that hard, you know, and that's in, that's in, that's between them. You know, that's, that could be them telling themselves that that's their excuse. They don't want to push themselves or they, maybe they don't believe it and they choose not to share that with me. Do you know what I'm saying? I think a lot of it is just about people's protection. I think they just don't, they don't want to know if they, if they don't do it. And I, I, I challenge that too. Like, let's see what happens. Like, what do we say sometimes to your kids? Like, what's the worst that can happen? You fail. Okay. So what? You, you know, you pick yourself back up and you keep going. That's the gift is that experience of learning. Like I went for it. It didn't happen. Right. And now I'm hungrier because I really, now I really want it because I decided I, I went after it and I didn't get it. So now I'm, now I'm hungry for it. And I don't, I almost want to see that. I want to see people sort of go for it and, and fail and say, wow, that was hard. But you know what? I did better than I thought, Matt. That's the takeaway. You know what? I didn't, I didn't think I would do the sub four, but wow, I came pretty darn close and I'm pretty happy with myself. That gets, gives them momentum to go back at it. Yeah. I, I completely you know, fall into that camp of it being a defense mechanism. Uh, I know it has been for me many times in a variety of different areas. Um, and shoot, I'm sure there, and even with me saying that now, I'm sure there's still plenty of places where I'm still doing it. Um, and not just necessarily, 
in my athletic endeavors um, because it it does by limiting what you think you can accomplish, it definitely does feel safer, right? I think it's I think it's perfectly understandable to see how someone can get to that point because if you do put yourself on the hook, um, not only do you say like, "Hey, like you can accomplish this," well, then because then it sets up this 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 cascade of of questions. Right. Of like, oh, well, then why haven't I? Oh, what do you know? What what what's going wrong here? Right. Like, what's the timeline on this? You know, is, it, is there a timeline? Is it next year? Is it the year after? Like, how do I not think about this? And I think oftentimes a, a big one is, you know, the type our type A friends who really can oftentimes focus on something to the point where it comes it goes from being a positive in terms of their focus to all of a sudden it's a detriment where now like this this hardcore focus on a goal is now causing this what used to be an outlet or a hobby to now be a stressor on their life. So how do you approach this idea of okay, you you are you aren't limitless, but your limits are way way beyond what you think they are, but at the same time not having people stressed out about trying to get to that limit. So okay, this is how I I work with that. It's it's staying super present Okay, Matt, it's about day in, day out. So you don't focus on the the end result. I, I, I coach my clients and my athletes not to be outcome oriented, to be process oriented. So if your goal on race day, your goal on race day should be, I want to do the best I can on this day under these circumstances. Okay. Because you don't know when you're training in January for Boston in April, you don't know what that day is going to look like. You can't say, I want to run a th- sub three, or you have to say, your goal is, I want to do the best that I can on this very day. So in your mind, that could be, oh, I really want to run a sub three, but you know what? If I go out there and I give it my best, then I'm happy. Right. So that's, that's really the end goal. So all along the, the way, you're training, it's one day at a time one day at a time. I want to give my best on this very day. I'm going to give my best on this very day. And each day you have to stay present because if you focus on this outcome or this goal that could be too big to, to and, and, and stressful, and now it's causing you to, it's backfiring. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not capable. I'm, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not fit enough. I'm not committed enough. Who do I think I am trying to do something like this? Right. It can backfire. But if, if your goal remains on a daily basis to be to be intentional about every workout, right? So I coach my clients, be intentional about every workout. What What is your focus for today? Well, today's a, a five-mile shakeout run after my long run. Okay, so what are you trying to accomplish today? Well, I don't want to go too fast, right? Because I know for me on my shakeout runs, I want to run too fast. No, I'm going to run. I'm going to keep it slow and it's a recovery run, right? So, but then it, you know the next day what's your focus on this on for this run and for this run and i think it's you have to be the the intentionality of each workout is so critical because it keeps you present and not focusing on this outcome that could so if you're focused on the outcome then it backfires on your workout that day what happens to you while you're running you're like who by who am i to think i'm going to run a sub 3 marathon that's insane and now your workout is compromised because your mind is focusing on the wrong thing so what I do is I encourage my athletes, stay present, one workout at a time, one day at a time, focus. And then after the workout is over, you pull out of that workout the positives, right? What did you do well today? Well, you know what? My 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 
posture was good. My form was good. I, I was breathing well. You know, maybe the number wasn't what you needed it to be, but that's okay because there's always something good in every workout, Matt. So I, I think a long answer to a difficult question, which is let's just keep it, let's just keep the focus on doing our very best. And that will will garner an outcome that is going to be what you have on that day. That's that's really all we're training for is the best of our ability on that very day. All right, I love that. All right, let's let's do the post the the the, the post failed workout conversation. All right, so I have this a lot with folks, and um, whether it's the, the 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 race or the workout, well, you know, let's just focus on the workout right now. Um, so you have the folk the folks who are like, all right, here's the workout, here's what I'm gonna do today, and they go into it. And let, let's just, just strip away like the mitigating factors, right? Let's say, okay, they slept fine. It was a pretty normal lead up, right? All things considered, right? Like you can't just be like, oh, I didn't sleep last night. Well, that, that's, that's your answer, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's why your workout didn't go well. Um, let, let's minimize those external factors to say, hey, the workout didn't go great today. You know, we had five by one mile of threshold with, you know, a two minute walk break in between. And after the second one, I was just like, oh my gosh, my legs are so heavy. I can't do this. And then it gets to the point of like this self-loathing of like, why couldn't I do this? And then this focus, like I, they spend the next three days harping on this workout that didn't go well. How, how, do, how do you approach your clients who fall into that mode? Okay. The most important thing any athlete can do is let go of the last moment. That's it. It's over. It's done. Next. That the, the, probably the hardest part of any, and this is, and this goes for any athlete, a professional athlete, the quarterback that just threw an interception, anybody, if you have to let go of that moment, it's done, it's over. The minute you start to drag that into the next day's workout, the day after that, it's, it's, it's having so much power over you. So what I tell my clients, forget it. It, you and I have this, I'm famous for this phrase. You can't win every workout. You're not supposed to win every workout. They're, they're not, you, there are days that you're not going to be at your best. That's okay. Not every workout is meant to be crushed. Not every work, you're not going to hit the numbers all the time, but it's going to make, it makes you appreciate when you do because your body is what your body is. And, and I don't try and explain it. I let it go. So, but you know, people need to hear that. I need to hear that, Matt. My coach needs to tell me, because I'll have the same conversation that you just went through. Oh my God, who, I can't believe it. Why didn't I push myself? My, I couldn't, I couldn't hit the numbers. What the hell? Like what's wrong with me? And he'll say to me, let it go. You're done. You, you had a great run on Sunday. You did a shakeout run yesterday. Today was your, 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 your intervals. So what? Tomorrow's another day. Next. Done. So when we can learn how to let that moment go and get to the next workout, that is a crucial part of mental training. And again, this goes for any athlete in any sport, tennis. Okay. There's a point every minute, right? So if you harp on that, that, you know, that error in the net, the double fault, you're going to, you're going to drag that. You're going to ruin the whole game. So it's not an easy concept to, to master, but if you can even just get better at it, right? But, but we're all humans. I have the same reaction to some of my workouts. I'm like, God, I suck today. I was so slow. I felt so sluggish. My legs, this, my legs, that. But then sometimes it does require you to look at your past week and say, okay, what did you do this week? And my coach will say, well, Sunday, Leah, you really pushed that pace. Remember the, you know, the blah, blah, blah. And he'll point out certain things to me that may be affecting my Tuesday, 
you know, or my Friday run that didn't go as well, the, the workout you're referring to. So, and I go, yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. And let it go. Okay. So that's again, another long winded answer, but I love this question because it comes up all the time, but we have to train ourselves to be, to not win every workout, to be present as possible and to let it go. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast with Seth Godin, who's like this brilliant marketing guy. He's like one of the most popular blogs uh, in the world for, for over a decade now. And he was on this podcast and he was, they were talking about, about different things. And then he just drops this line in there. He was just, he was going on like a little ramble. And he's like, you know, like half of my podcasts, half of my blog posts are below average. And he was just like, this was like in just a stream of consciousness um, conversation. And the, the host jumped in. They're like, Seth, you're like the most popular blogger in the country. There's no way half of your podcast, half of your blogs are below average. He goes, no, that's the definition of average. Yes. Half of them are below average and half of them are at or above average. He goes, that's the definition of average. This is the same for every single person, no matter who they are, right? The average meaning relative to him in this case. Um, and this is something that I know I lose sight of all the time. Okay. We're, we got to get going. I do want to ask you one more question. And this is relates to, you know, basically your background coupled with people who you work with. So what is your response when you have people like, yeah, Leah? Listen, you qualified for Kona. You're kicking butt at age 40. This is so inspiring. But you were also an all-state tennis player in high school. You were like, you walked on to a college lacrosse team without ever playing lacrosse. Like, I've never done any of this. I'm not this, like, high school stud athlete. Like, I don't have any history of athletic success. So what, why are the things that you're talking about, why would they even apply to me? Because considering that our backgrounds don't align at all. Uh, I, I'll go back to what I said before, the talent piece. Like, yes, that I grew up in a, an athletic household. I definitely have some athletic talent. And I have that competition piece of me that that I love. I love to compete. But that can all, it, if I learned it, anybody can learn it. And yeah, I, I, but I told you I was not a standout athlete in high school. I wasn't. I was an all-state tennis player, but there were other people that were all-state tennis players as well. It wasn't anything that impressive. It's really not that impressive. I didn't. I played on a D3 college lacrosse team back in the early 90s. It, it wasn't a big deal. You know, I tell that story more because it's because I missed competition so much that I was willing to, to be a newbie and not be that great at the sport, but just to do it more for fun. So, I, I, again, I think that's an, that's an excuse. And I sort of challenge people on that. Yeah, there's, there's some talent. Everybody is, has an athletic piece of them if they choose to, to use it. Um, and there's a lot you can overcome training properly and having a, uh, the proper mindset. And I'm here, I am here to bring that out of you. I am here. My job, my gift, my passion is for helping people maximize their potential, you know, and get over those things. Well, I wasn't a high school athlete and I didn't grow up in a, in a, in an athletic household. Yeah. All of those things definitely helped me to, you know, so maybe my, my journey to Kona was only three years as opposed to 20. I cut down on a lot of that because of this sort of system that I use and the sort of mindset preparation that I've, I've, I've come to, to figure out. I can help you do that. You know, it, it's, and you can get there. It depends on how hard you work and how much you want it. And desire is a big piece of it. But the, the also the piece of it is to have a coach. You know, I think people minimize that. Oh, I don't need that. I can just go to a, you know, I can, I can search a, a, a training plan online and follow it. Yeah, absolutely. You can. But it really helps to have someone in your corner and someone who, who gets it and who, who can encourage you when you need it and can, 
can applaud you when you also need it. Because you and I both know when you're in those months of training, when there, there, there's no one clapping for you at the finish line, there's no medal, you have to just show up every single day. It's nice to have someone who's like, hey, nice job on that workout today. I know it was cold and rainy and snowy and you were tired, but you did it. And that's the win, Matt. That's the part I love. It's not the race for me. It's the, it's the daily wins and the weekly wins when you go out in that horrible weather and you, you crank out that 18 miler, that 20 miler, that 15, whatever it is, and you get it done when no one else is out there. You know, I thrive on being that 1%. I want everybody to be that 1% and do the things that other people won't do because that's the difference maker. I love it. All right. We got to get going. Thank you so much, Leah. This has been absolutely fantastic. If someone wants to learn more about you, where should they go? Well, they can go to my website, which is leahjansen.com. Um, I'm pretty, I love Instagram. That's my favorite place to be. Find me on Instagram at Leah Jansen, L-E-H-J-A-N-T-Z-E-N. And we can talk running, triathlon, kids, family, the whole nine yards. Um, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty open book. So <laughs> it's all, because it's all part of the, you know, the behind the scenes is, is part of what makes it all, all fun. Leah, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. I absolutely love recording the podcast with people who are just doing extraordinary things um, and you know who can kind of share that message with so many other people. It just truly is remarkable. Also, as you heard in the uh, mid-roll ad, you know, cons- consistently, there it is, consistently trying to tell people about the Rambling Runner Summit for this exact reason, helping you be your best running self in 2021. You're going to hear from 23 of the top people in running, providing useful and experiential um, content that you'll have lifetime access to. And what better than that? You can get it for 150 bucks now or 125 if you will use one of the speakers discount codes. There are 23 speakers in total and they each have a discount code. You can see it on their social media platforms. And when you use one of their speaker codes, not only do you save money, but it helps them out as well. So if you know someone who's speaking at that event or you just happen to like someone who's speaking at that event, please use their discount code. This will help you and it will help them. So thank you so much for listening. It truly means so much to me knowing that not only do you find this to be entertaining and something that you can listen to, whether you're running or walking the dog or doing the dishes, but also that it's helping you as a runner and maybe even as a person. We'll see, but definitely as a runner. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.